Let's continue worship by reading the text today from today's sermon from Matthew 13, 44 through 46 and 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to church. Glad you made it today. I'm Chris, if I've not met you. Uh, Last week, we started a a conversation about mission. And specifically, um, God's mission uh, for his people Uh, in the earth. And we kind of sat with uh, two things. Uh, Number one, we sat with our personal and corporate need uh, for a vision, personal and corporate need for a vision and mission. And number two, uh, that God's intent for humanity was first and foremost to be an image of him. So a snapshot, a, a copy on a smaller scale of God himself to creation. That's what we sat with last week. So what we said is whether you call yourself a Christian or not, um, you have, and every human has, inherent creative beauty and moral capacity for glory and honor. Because you were created, uh, your created purpose was to be an image of God to all of creation. The example we gave last week was Google Earth. Google Earth is an extremely impressive image of the earth. Anyone ever just get on Google Earth and just play? Just, I mean, I love doing that, man, right? Sitting in my bed at night on my iPad, just checking out Dubai, you know? Um, if someone says, hey, uh, what does uh, Dubai look like? You could say, oh, dude, Google Earth, man, just hop on there. You can see an image of the whole city. It's legit. Is that Dubai? Yes and no. No, no. It's not, it's the picture of Dubai. But what is it doing? What's the purpose of that picture? to tell you what the real thing looks like. That's what you were created for. You were created to tell all of creation what God looks like. His moral beauty, his grace, forgiveness, creative genius, right? You were created to show all of creation what the real thing looks like. The divine purpose for humanity, me and you, according to Genesis, is to be images of God. To creation. Last week, we just explored that, right? And the other thing we kind of sat with last week, I'm just kind of catching this up so we can launch off of last week's logic and argument, right? Last week, we said, if you and I aren't locked into the why behind the what of really anything, why behind the what of anything, um, the vision, the goal, the purpose, the motivating realities, then not only will you bail when things get difficult, but you will drift into other purposes, lesser visions, uh, specifically for what it means to be the church. If you're not locked in, to the why behind the what, right? And end up confused about what it means to be a Christian and confusing a whole lot of other people about what it means to be a Christian. So 
If you've been around here a while, we've uh, talked about that really at length. Uh, I, I just, uh, the, uh, during all the kind of craziness of the past years, actually last week, I said the lockdowns happened three years ago. That's not correct. They happened two years ago, but it's felt like 30. So, you know, I guess, you know. So, but during all of that craziness going on in our culture, right? Past three years, I'm just you know, reflecting on this, right? I had in my spirit this tenacity rise up about in me about the centrality of Christ in Christianity, all right? And we talked about what happens when we become confused about what the flag of the church is, right? Like, there was just rampant throughout the past couple of years, right? A lot of confusion about what the flag of the church is, what the church is supposed to be about. And what we talked about then, we talked about it in terms of this. We talked about it in terms of primary and secondary issues. So the way we get confused in the church about, hey, what's the purpose? Like, why are we doing this? Like, what's the goal? What's the vision? The way we get confused in the church is we take secondary issues and we, we elevate them in our thinking to primary places. Okay, so what's that mean if you weren't with us during all that craziness a couple years ago? Primary things, what do I mean by this? Primary things in Christianity, in the Bible, right, are things that are so clear and repetitively affirmed in the Scripture that to deny them would be to deny Scripture themselves. That's a primary thing, all right? So what's an example of a primary thing in Christian, in Christian thinking and theology and church? The divinity of Jesus. It's a primary thing, man. It is affirmed so many times. It's repeated so often in the New Testament, prophesied so often in the Old Testament, right? It's, it's there. You can't deny that, okay? The atoning and the redeeming power of the cross of Christ, man, over, over, over again in the New Testament. You can't dispute it. To dispute it would dispute Scripture itself, okay? It's a primary thing. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, primary, all right? Over and over and over again in the New Testament, it's going to say, this is what it means to be a Christian, right? Read the book of Acts, right? Those are primary things in Scripture. What are secondary things? Okay, well, a secondary thing is something in Scripture, in church culture, whatever, that leaves open or gives seemingly two differing approaches to. So can you think of a topic in Christian theology, uh, you know, hanging out with Christians, whatever like that, can you think of an example of a secondary issue? Things that if you look at all of Scripture, you can find really compelling arguments for both ideas. One of them, the most popular one, might be Arminianism and Calvinism. You can find compelling arguments for both of these in Scripture. That's a secondary issue. So here's the crazy thing about Christianity, y'all. It is full of secondary issues, like chocked full. It's why there are so many divisions and denominations within Christianity that still belong under the banner of Christian. Because there's a wide diversity of, of secondary topics in scripture that people really get attached to as Christians. You guys know what I'm talking about? Nobody, awesome, great. Just me up here. <laughs> okay, all right, so you can, yeah, good, I like that. Um, so I have brothers that I love, right, who know God, who are bearing fruit in their lives, amazing, that I disagree with on secondary issues. And it's okay. We have room for that? I don't know if we have room for that, right? I mean, let's, I mean just to talk real quick, real quick. It's a side note. If our culture needs anything right now, anything modeled right now, isn't it the ability to disagree with someone and still love them? Like, isn't it any, I mean, right, can you think of another thing that would be helpful for the church to model for our culture right now? Hey, I disagree with you. I love you. We can still hang out. Let's go get a drink. Let's talk about it more. I mean, imagine that. Could you imagine? Should we just 
talk about that more? No, okay, let's just move on. All right. Uh, that diversity of secondary issues is the reason, y'all, it is so profoundly important for our hearts to stay orbiting around the primary, all right? Not the secondary of what it means to belong to God because there are so many secondary issues that you can get caught up on and then attach your identity and value to as a Christian, right? And y'all, here's the deal. Let me just, cards on the table. I have no interest in making a secondary issue the hill I wanna die on. No interest, right? So in small group, uh, last week we were talking about this dynamic. We, we, the language came up again about secondary and primary and how it sneaks secondary things. can Secondary, often neutral things, can often sneak into primary uh, places in our thinking. And the example came to me in my own experience uh, about this ability and tendency of secondary things to become primary in our thinking. And, and, and the example that came to me was this. When I got saved, saved in high school, around high school time, met Jesus, right? When I got saved, had this impact, encounter with Jesus, I found the most amazing worship album I have ever heard. And it was called Enter the Worship Circle. Okay, amen, got one, all right, all right. And because it was such a profoundly impactful, formative time for me, I attached my experience, the authenticity of my experience to this medium of worship to enter the worship circle. And enter the worship circle became the standard for what it meant to, for authentic worship for me. So you got electric guitars, get out of here. I don't wanna hear about it, right? Gym bass forever, all right? Anyone, Wakanda forever? Okay, no, <laughs> anyway, gym bass. So, oh, so, so for, you, for those of you who are confused right now, um, enter the worship circle is this like hippie, bohemian, stomp version of worship music. They got like, 10 djembes and hand drums and rain sticks and like goat hoofs they're on their, on their feet, right? Like a trash can top, right? So just imagine like a, they're just beating on it and then like howling, you know, vocals and acoustic guitar, right? And so I loved it, man. I was like all in, loved it, right? I have a, I have a literally have a, have a graveyard of djembes in my house, like a whole room could fill up a room with djembes, right? Um, it, so this expression of worship, I know it's kind of a silly example, just stay with me, all right? This expression became for me what really made me unique, you know? I'd go around, I used to lead worship, right? So I'd go around leading worship, me and 10 dudes with djembes show up, right? Everyone's like, what is this, right? <laughs> right? And it became this kind of identity thing. Here it goes. So much so, did this like hippie bohemian expression of worship, so much so, y'all. Some of y'all are gonna blow your minds right now. I used to have dreadlocks. Okay, like I used to have dreadlocks like down to here. Almost showed a picture, but I was like, we never would recover from that. So we're just gonna keep going, right? Some of y'all gonna leave now, right? So, so someone could have seen me and have legitimately asked, hey man, were you saved to hippie djembe worship music or to Jesus? Right? And look, I mean, maybe just, I mean, and I could be like, you know, well, you know, Jesus, like, you know, I don't know, maybe. Maybe Jesus was a hippie, right? Does he want anything to look at? Dreadlocks are gross. I don't know. Maybe he had dreads. I don't know, you know? <laughs> but nothing's wrong with hippie djembe worship, right? It was an authentic expression. But if in the mix that becomes the hill you die on, you have completely missed the point. Huh? So for me, it was this whole kind of, you know, oh, you use electric guitars. Well, you'll get there, buddy, you know? Right? Oh, you use tracks and synths. You might as well be worshiping Satan, you know? And listen, that's extreme, right? But yeah, this is this, this, this level. 
Christians do that with all sorts of crazy things, right? You can find instance after instance after instance of why Christians think they're better than you because of some format in your worship service, all right? All sorts of things. And what, this is what happens, y'all, when we lose the overarching vision of what it means to call ourselves Christians, right? And here, so if you get saved in a big church, then your tendency is to think small churches are JV and outdated. If you get saved in a small church, then your tendency is to think, well, big churches are shallow and have sold out, right? Nothing wrong. Big churches, small. Nothing wrong with gym babe, music. Nothing wrong with any of those things. They just aren't the point, right? They're not the, no one's gonna lay their life down for hippie gym bay music, man, right? It's not, no one's gonna be compelled to leave all of their valuables and move to a different country to spread the name of hippie gym bay music. Right? It's not what we're in the fight for, man. It's not what captivates our hearts, right? And that's what happens over and over and over and over and over again, times it by a million, and there's Christian culture for you. Bunch of people arguing over secondary issues, things that have risen to the top, Legi- neutral things, good, good things, legitimate things that have risen to the top and have become attached with the authenticity of their experience with Jesus, and then they think, well, to know Jesus, it means that. Yeah? Okay? So we, we see what we're talking about here? You can point to just instant after instance after color of the carpet, where this pulpit is on the stage. Do you use, you know, right? See, what happens? What, what has happened in that person, in that culture? In, in the, well, they got confused and completely missed the point. Our flag in this room is not a certain way of doing church. It's not, y'all. That's a deeper expression of a, a different vision. Do I, do I like the things? Do I like how we do things? Yeah. Do I have a preference? For, yeah, I do, right? But my preferences aren't the point, and neither are yours, right? If mere preference becomes the hill we want to die on, we've tragically missed the point. Guys, let's just, come on. Why do you think the New Testament is suspiciously quiet about stuff like this? Stuff like order of service, stuff like instruments and ceremony and how the gatherings are supposed to look. Yeah, I mean, read it. Read it and see if you can find it. You can find some stuff, but it's little. I mean, stuff's like, hey, stop talking over each other. You know, that's the kind of stuff we get. Yo, God did that on purpose because he had something so much bigger in mind for the church than any one ethnicity, any one culture, any one society, any one time, uh, any one expression of Christianity. I mean, why do you think in Revelation, it's talking about every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right? So you're talking about an extremely diverse expression of something other than ceremony, okay? Am I communicating here? Am I using words? Jesus knew, God knew the expression would have a vast diversity, about it, right? And so when we begin to attach value and superiority to unexpression, we get sideways. So it's not our flag, okay? Is it necessary? Yeah. Will we always tend to prefer things? Yeah, but it's not our flag. The purpose of, so if the purpose of the church, let's get back to our, the purpose of the church is to restore God's original purpose for humanity. What was humanity's original purpose? Image of God. Right? To be an image of God to all creation. So now the purpose of the church is now to restore that in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. So that we now can begin to truly image God to creation because something has happened. See, let's just let's sit with this. If the church's mission is to image God to creation. We're on that. We're on that. We got our sights on the, on the origins, right? We got our sights. Where we, we're, we're supposed to image God to creation. What is the challenge? What's the challenge in the church? What's the problem? What's the obstacle? What, what's the thing? Well, here's the challenge. <laughs> the, 
The problem is the church is made up of people like me and you. That's the challenge. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. The problem is it's made up of people. So what's wrong with me and you? Well, since you asked, uh, me and you, me and you are short-sighted. Me and you can't seem to remember basic things over long periods of time. Me and you have an unbelievable capacity for good and glory. We do, right? And at the same time, historically, humanity never really is able to create or sustain a society that doesn't in some way dehumanize and abuse the needy. We can't. You ever seen The Village by M. Night Shyamalan? Love that movie. Because it opens over a father burying his son. And the context of that is he's burying his son in a community in which the idea was that they had um, saved themselves from suffering. And that whole thing is the pro- uh, Just watch. It's a great, it's a great movie. You should watch it. A little scary, a little bit. Right? See, the problem with uh, the church's mission being to image God uh, is that in that vision is a partnership between God and humanity. That's the, that's where the, that's the weak link. It's not God. <laughs> right? Humanity, who often prefer darkness to light so that we can do what we want without accountability. The real problem, how, how can I and you, how can me and you image God to the world? Uh, Properly. Most of us have already bailed on our New Year's resolution, right? Right? Like I can't, yeah, I can't even go a week without losing my temper at my kids. How are we going to do this? How am I going to image God to my kids in my community when I can't even go a week without losing it? What's the hope, right? The problem is that the mirror of humanity that was to reflect a pure reflection of God has been broken and fractured into a million pieces and now can only reflect God in small little glimpses. We got those glimpses, man. It's beautiful when you see those glimpses, but man, it's a small, little, broken, fractured glimpse of what God is supposed to be like. Me and you are dirty. That's the problem. And all our efforts to clean the mirror just smudges the dirt around, y'all. We can't reflect the glory of God in the way that we are tended to because something is sideways in our hearts, man. So I'm sorry I had to bring that up. You did ask. But it's going to set the stage for our vision as a group of friends. And without that, right, without the context of that broken mirror-ish, right, um, our vision doesn't make sense at all. Without that context, it it deflates the entire thing about what it means to be a Christian. So what is the great, what is the great why behind all of the what's of Christian behavior? What is the great why behind all of the what's of Christian behavior? Right? Even for us in the church, what is the motivator? Why do we gather? Why do we sacrifice? Why are we faithful? And today I want to submit to you the ground-level claim, okay, the ground-level assumption that our mission is built on. Right, The fundamental assumption that motivates all true Christian action, and it is this. This is the fundamental assumption that motivates all true Christian action, that God in himself is the most valuable, most worthy, most satisfying, most desirable, most supreme treasure the human heart can experience. That is the ground level assumption, okay? But here's the catch. The greatness of his glory is seen most clearly in the sacrifice of Jesus. 
That's where the context has to come in. So number one, ground level assumption of our mission statement of, of, of vision, I think for all the Christians, is that number one is that he is our highest good. And number two, that goodness is only accessed in and through Jesus. These are the ground level assumptions of, of, of I think, the purpose of all Christians and our vision at, at this church, the undercurrent of our vision, the anchor that I want my heart tethered to every week is that his nearness and manifest goodness is more to be desired than money or pleasure or fame or sex or accomplishment. And I would still be barred out of that goodness if it wasn't for Jesus. That's the undercurrent, y'all. And that's the only place where it makes sense that God is the treasure worth sacrificing all other treasures to possess. And our only shot at possessing that treasure is by the atoning work of Christ, right? That's our flag, y'all. I know that seems really, really simple. But isn't it often the simple things that we forget? This is the hill we die on. Y'all, this is the hill we die on. That's the one that we've been barred out of life and that he's made a way back into it. That's the hill. That's the vision. It's the great, overwhelming worth and beauty of God seen most clearly in the sacrificial love of Jesus. It's the undergirding. It's the foundation, right? Only from that foundation does our vision make any sense, right? Because it's only when we see the sacrifice of Jesus as the most perfect, most complete act of self-surrender and love that the world has ever seen, right? Our, our vision statement comes from our having our hearts having our hearts gripped by the dynamic of creator suffering and dying for his creation. And in all of his suffering, it makes our suffering seem way less. That's what the parable we read gets at, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field, right? This is what Jesus said it's like when the kingdom comes to you. He says, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when you find it, you cover it up, and then in your joy, key word, joy, goes and you sell all you have and buy that field. Therefore, the great why behind the what of all Christian behavior, what's the, great, what's the why in that parable? Joy. Great joy. You found it. You buried it. You went and sacrificed everything to have it. Why? Joy. So What's the great why behind the what? The great why behind the what of all Christian behavior isn't moral striving. That never worked. It isn't earning our worth. It isn't so you can be a better person. In fact, it doesn't come from you at all. It's catching a vision of the beauty of God in the suffering of his son in our place. That's the source, man. If you don't see the sacrifice of Jesus as beautiful, you're not a Christian. It's the source of all true Christian action, man. Nothing else makes it. You're earning your way up the mountain of moral ethics. That's not Christianity. That's a religion. That's like any other religions. Christianity is unique among every other religion, man. Every other religion says strive, strive, do, act. Christianity says done. It's a big, big difference, y'all. It's catching the vision of the beauty of God and the suffering of his son in our place. It's seeing with the eyes of our hearts that he became low so we could be lifted, right? That he was stripped of dignity to cover our nakedness. That he was stripped of glory so he could restore ours, right? See, Jesus, y'all, Jesus was the only fully human who ever walked the face of the earth. All the rest of us have broken editions of humanity, 
and he is the only fully, truly human that's ever imaged God to all of creation. And how did he do it? By being broken himself. Man, mystery of mysteries. Huh? The only true reflection of, of the divine had to be broken so that we could then become reflections of the divine. It's remarkable. It's what we call the mystery of our faith. That's the mystery of our faith, that he's come, that he's died, he's come again, right? His work, what he did, right? To restore us again to the image of God, to mend the broken mirror of all humanity, he had to become broken himself. For God who said, what we read earlier, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the, where? Face of Jesus. That is the central, the, the focal point of our lives as Christians if we are going to live it as Christians, all right? So our, our mission as a local body, our mission, y'all, the vision of this place as a group of friends who are trying to be faithful, our vision, the goal, the thing that I'm gonna continually call you to, the thing that we are anchoring our ambitions to and goals to as a group is this, that we are a people declaring and delighting in the beauties of Jesus, okay, that's it. Right? Because we believe the only chance we have of walking this road is not found in our own strength, but in God's. And only if our focal point is him himself will we endure in the long run. Our strength is not enough. Passing trends are not enough, y'all. Right? A commitment to distinguish yourself from shallow religion is not enough. Only when we are captivated by God's faithfulness to us despite our failures do you stand a chance at walking this road for the long haul. We have to have, we have to stay ferociously locked in on one thing, the glory, the beauty, and the abundant goodness of Jesus. And if that sounds just too simple, I mean, I get it. But like I said, it's the simple things that we forget. It's the simple things that we drift from and stray from. So, right, all that sounds good. Great, you're inspired. Awesome, great. What does it mean? Well, it means that everything we set our goals to at this church has one aim. It means if we do anything else, any initiatives, any class, any small group, anything, we run it through this filter. Is this changing us into people who declare and delight in Jesus increasingly, personally and corporately, right? It means, y'all, so we, you know, just, just, let's just start dabbling with those words. It means the goal is not merely intellectual, right? It has to do with the affections of your heart. It means that worship's at the heart of it all. It means maybe more importantly that the message, the thing we're declaring is not us. Whom do we declare? We read it earlier. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. It means our declaration isn't a way of doing church on Sunday. It's not a style of music. It's not a style of preaching. All of that is subservient and secondary to another goal, seeing and savoring the supremacy of the goodness of God in increasing clarity. Seeing and savoring the supremacy of the goodness of God huh? in the face of Jesus. It means our goal and how we do things here. Our goal and how we do things here isn't that you leave struck by, oh, wow, that worship leader was awesome. Or, man, that preacher's wild, right? Or, oh, just lovely people. All that's great. I'm not suggesting we be jerks, right? Or we be sloppy at what we do. But if all of the loveliness, all of the excellence in music, all the efforts in communicating doesn't lead you to be struck by the surpassing worth and beauty of Jesus, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. Long exercise in missing the point, right? Tragically, regrettably missed the point, right? If it doesn't stir your heart to fall deeper in love with Jesus, huh? if it doesn't help you see and comprehend his outstanding superiority over every, everything, all I could think of was this dumb meme. 
Well done. Thank you, Leonardo. I don't want us to miss the point, man. I don't want, here, let's look at that trajectory. I don't want our trajectory to be going this way and here's, oh, here, oops. Here's the point over there. I don't want that to be my story, man. I don't, I don't want to live my life sweating and shedding my blood and putting my shoulder up and working and climbing a ladder to get to the top to only realize this ladder's been leaning on the wrong wall. How frustrating to give your life to something and realize you've completely missed the point. This is why we have to have our heart tethered to something greater than just an expression. So we have to have our heart tethered to something greater than just a style of communicating or style of music or the type of translation of the Bible you read. All secondary to the supremacy of the glory and beauty of Jesus known in your heart. All secondary to your heart's ability, ability, listen, ability to delight in God. Some of us do not have the ability to delight in God. All of it's secondary. All of it towards that aim to help your heart begin to delight in God, begin to rejoice in the light, not run from it. Huh? We are to be a people declaring and delighting in the beauty of Jesus. And I want this uh, to guide us as a group. I want this to tether our hearts to the why behind all of the what's and continually and repetitively, like a broken record, call your heart to this, right? Every week when we gather, the goal is set before you. The goal is set before you. This is the point. This is the goal. And we're not gonna change that, right? And if by the end of every sermon, you don't want to worship Jesus, I've not done my job, huh? If Jesus seems to be less impressive or not worth the fuss, then you are gonna get really bored here because we're not gonna get off this track. We're not gonna be sidestrapped. We're not gonna let side, we're not gonna let other causes sneak in. This is gonna be the course, delighting and declaring, declaring and delighting. Who, what? The beauties of Jesus, his excellencies, his worth, his great value, his surpassing treasure, right? That's it, right? So if Jesus, if you get over Jesus, you're gonna be bored. You're gonna be bored, you're not gonna be into it, right? The tune's not gonna change, because I'm gonna keep insisting that Jesus is the crowning jewel of all creation, all right? that he is the only true image of God and that his sacrifice is sufficient, completely sufficient, 100% sufficient, totally able to purify and sanctify you. Yes. That's it, man. That's where we're gonna land. Over. Now, so as I'm just like thinking about this and getting all worked up, you know, I was reminded of um, Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is probably the most mind-numbingly repetitive psalm in the Bible. You've probably heard it if you grew up in the church. It, a lot of churches use this call and response thing. And one line is something like God's done this or God is like this. And the next line is, is the same refrain over and over, something like 26 times that it repeats this phrase, his love endures forever. You ever heard that one? So Jesus did that somehow. His love endures forever. You know, you ever heard it? You do the call and response at church? You guys know that well? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know, uh, he alone does great wonders. His love endures. You know, his mate, he made the heaven with seals, right? Over and over again, 26 times. About halfway through, most of us are like, okay, we get it. Okay, we get it. But, but this is what I want to ask you something. Do, do you? Do you think God might be up to something with this mind-numbingly repetitive psalm? Do you think he might be trying to say something to us with, with saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, right? So like, I, I don't know uh, what kind of week you had, 
to this week. I don't know if your relationships are like imploding around you. I don't know if your family's just coming apart at the seams, man. I don't know, like uh, your kids spiraling out. You, maybe your boss is a narcissist, you know? Uh, like maybe you just feel the, the edges of society just being ripped apart right now, right? You, maybe you see the marginalization of Christians and you're just freaking out, okay? Maybe you're in the midst of suffering and loss and grief right now. So let's just put that in the first line. Society's freaking out. Guess what happens when you come here? Guess what we're going to say? His love endures forever. Guess what? So your week was like, man, your family's just imploding. We're just falling apart. Guess what's going to happen when you come here? His love endures forever. Let's just say you just lost yourself in sin. Like you just went all in, lost all restraint. When you come in this room, guess what we're going to say? He still loves you. Yeah, it's love endures forever. That's right. His everlasting kindness remains over and over and over again. It will be the tether that holds this place on the ground. Not us, right? Not your week, not my week. God help us, right? No, that his love endures forever. It is the flag we fly. It is the hill we die on. Nothing less. So when society is falling apart, when we're feeling the pressure turned up, I'm not going to get here and I'm not going to rehearse the headlines to you. You know what I'm going to say to you? His love endures forever. Everlasting kindness. Loyalty, faithfulness to us endures through all eternity, through every age, through every lifetime, through every suffering, through every loss, through every amount of grief, through every sin, through every rebellion. His love endures forever. And maybe one day we'll get it. Maybe one day, the mind-numbing repetitive of it will seep into our thick skulls and our lives will begin to be transformed. By what? Our effort? No! By the faithfulness of God! He's been faithful to us even though we've totally abandoned him. He's been faithful to us even though we're just outright running away from him in sin. That's why, y'all, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's why that's the, that's the hill we're going to die on. And it's why that's the flag we're going to pull up over and over and over again, over every service, over every song we sing, over every prayer we pray. That it's his faithfulness to us that anchors us, not our faithfulness to him, right? So my assumption and my hope, my, my guess maybe, is that if Christians will get over themselves and fix their attention on the beauties of Christ, there is no telling how many people will be drawn to his goodness. Let's stand and pray.